legend has it that um, author Ernest Hemingway was once challenged to write a story using only six words. And this was his response. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. It's a powerful, powerful story using just six words, isn't it? And this this story, whether that actually happened or not, whether he actually said that or not, has developed into a movement of people who try and compose stories using just six words. And it's also led to a thing called six-word memoirs, where people try and tell their own life stories using just six words. I wonder what you would say if you were asked to describe your life in just six words. Now, the introduction to this letter to the Ephesians has what sounds like quite a standard introduction, doesn't it? If you've read many of the epistles of the New Testament, you'll be familiar with introductions like this one. For example, in verse two, when Paul says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's language that we recognise and almost just skim over as we're reading the letters in the Bible. But these things that Paul mentions in verse 2 are really core to the whole of the letter to the Ephesians. If you've seen the little image that we're using for this sermon series, that's actually the title of this sermon series, Grace and Peace. It's really core to the whole message of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we can add a little bit to those two words to come up with our own six-word story that summarises what Ephesians is all about. And maybe even summarise our own stories if we are Christians. And I think these six words sum up Ephesians and ultimately the whole Christian life. Peace, yours by grace in Christ. Peace, yours by grace in Christ. That's how we can sum up Ephesians 1, the whole of Ephesians, and for us who are Christians, the whole of the Christian life. Now, I guess I could stop there now that I've said that, but I'm not going to. So let's dive in and see what other riches this letter to the Ephesians has for us. As I've said, Paul writes this letter to show that peace with God and with one another as fellow believers has come to us by God's grace, in Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, although that greeting is quite standard for Paul's letters, Ephesians is a little bit unique because um, it actually lacks a lot of the personal greetings that a lot of other of Paul's letters contain. And this could be for a couple of reasons. So it could be because although Paul spent two or two to three years in Ephesus and would have known the church quite well, it could have been seven to ten years after that that he wrote this letter. And he might not have had such regular contact and might not know the people to whom he was writing so well. Or it could be that this letter, more than just to the church in Ephesus, was intended to go to Ephesus and to the surrounding areas and churches that had multiplied and grown in that area. And so it was more of a general than a specific letter. But whatever the case, Paul starts with this brief introduction in verses one and two that summarise the whole letter for us. And then he dives straight into this wonderful passage that we're looking at this evening. This extended section of praise, which has got some rolling sentences, which is almost hard to read, isn't it? Depending on what translation you use. In some translations, it's really quite difficult 
to read. And one thing we notice just on the surface of it is this passage is thoroughly Trinitarian. It is full of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It starts off with the Father, doesn't it? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it talks about blessings from the Spirit, spiritual blessings there again in the first verse, in verse 3. And then it finishes in verses 13 and 14 with the Holy Spirit, who is um, the seal and the guarantee of our inheritance. And starting with the Father and finishing with the Spirit, this passage centres on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul uses variations on in him, in Christ, in the beloved, 11 times just in these first few verses. And if you read um, poetry or um, even in Christian hymns, or for the, those cool kids among you, if you listen to rap music, you'll know that poets and rappers and hymn writers often break the rules of grammar to fit with the musical meter of a hymn or a song or to make it rhyme. And Paul breaks the rules of grammar regularly in Ephesians, and he does it to prove, in this case, a theological point. He makes a point of adding in Christ, in him, in the beloved, throughout this section, even when it makes the sentence awkward and clunky, because he wants you to realise as you're reading this, that it's all about Christ and what he's done. The work of the Father and the work of the Spirit all have their central focus around what Christ has done for us and what Christ does in us. This is all about Christ. Like the Christian life, it's got the Father and the Spirit and Christ at the centre. So it's about Christ. And Paul writes this, I think, to show us three things. There's three main things that I want to and want us to see this evening. And I'm going to spoiler alert and tell you what they are up front and then we'll just work through them. So here are the three things I want us to find in this passage this evening. I want us to find comfort, confidence, and I want us to be able to praise God by the time that we finished. Paul was writing this to stir his readers up to praise. That's why he starts off by saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want this passage, as Paul intended, to cause us to praise. And it kind of feels wrong to dissect a passage like this um, in the way that we're going to this evening. So I want to set you a challenge. We're going through Ephesians slowly, just one sermon a month. So over the next month, it doesn't have to be every day, but why not come back to this passage repeatedly? When you've got your Bible open and you're thinking of where to turn to, come to Ephesians 1. Read these 14 verses and soak in them. Meditate upon them. Think about the different aspects, the different things that Paul says and what they mean for you, and how they speak to what is going on in your life. Comfort, comfort. What comfort can we derive from this passage? What comfort did Paul want to bring his readers by writing this? Well, firstly, we see it right at the um, start of his um, writing here in verse four, where Paul says, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And then into verse five, he says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus. And then again, down in verse 11, in him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in accordance to his will. So this is what we see first in this passage. Paul wants his readers to know 
that if they're Christians, if they're trusting in Christ, then they have been chosen by him. They didn't become Christians by accident. If you're trusting in Christ, you didn't become a Christian by accident. He chose you. God chose you. We, we see here Paul saying, God the Father chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world. Paul starts off um, with that greeting in one uh, verses 1 and 2, using greeting that were probably derived from um, Jewish tradition. And so it's no surprise here that when he says this, his readers are probably thinking of Israel, the nation of Israel, and Abraham before that, and the way that God came to them and chose them. God picked them out to be his special people. And now Paul says to his readers in Ephesus and to us as well, that if you're Christians, you have been chosen from before the foundation of the world. God has chosen you this evening if you're trusting in Christ. Now, perhaps for some of us, we're comfortable with this. And perhaps for others of us, predestination and this choosing is a bit uncomfortable. What about the need to hear the gospel? What about repenting? What about believing? Well, we see this in verse 13, don't we? Paul says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you were believed, when you believed. So Paul is obviously not negating hearing the gospel, trusting, believing. That's important. That is the means that God uses to bring us to repentance and to bring us into Christ. In fact, in Ephesians 2, Paul goes on to talk about how we were dead in sin and dead in sin, we need to hear the gospel and repent. But because we're dead, we can only do it because God has chosen us and his spirit is working within us, bringing us to faith in him. And all of that starts with God choosing us before the world began, before time was even something that made sense. God set his love upon us in Christ. We have been chosen. What a comfort that is to us this evening to know that we are not here by accident, that God has chosen us for himself. As it says at the end of the passage, to be his possession, we have been chosen in Christ. And there is an intentional moving towards us that we see here on the part of God. We were far off. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. There was nothing that we could do to bring ourselves to God. And so he came towards us. He set his love upon us. The father set his love upon us before the world was created. The father sent Christ into the world and Christ came willingly for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross that we might be his people before him in love. He chose us. And Paul goes to great pains as well as to illustrate that this is in Christ. He goes to great pains to illustrate that this was something which God does intentionally, on purpose. It was um, it was something very purposeful that God planned. We see this in verses 5, um, in accordance with his pleasure and will. Verse 5, we see it in verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And we see it again in verse 11, in conformity with the purpose of his will. We see purpose, pleasure, will. This was what God wanted to do purposefully. 
This was his will for us as sinners who were far off from him, that we should be brought close to him. When I was growing up, I helped various members of my family to build extensions. And as we were doing the building work, as the house started to go up and you were making your way round to do the next bit of work, oftentimes you were up high above the ground. And as you were walking about, you had to be really careful about you, where you were going to go to make sure that you planted your foot safely. You had to walk intentionally with purpose in order to stay safe. And what Paul shows us here is God's intentionality in working his will out so that we might be saved, might become his special people. What comfort there is here for us to know that we were chosen by God intentionally according to the purpose of his will, that we might be holy and blameless before him. What comfort that is to us this evening. Just just soak in that this evening. So let that um, work its way down into your heart. God chose you when you were far off from him. In the craziness of parenting and lockdown, with homeschooling and so many other things pulling at you, pulling you every which way, when you feel like you're a failing parent because your kids are looking at screens for the 73rd time today, remember that it's okay that you are loved, chosen, that you're holy, that you're adopted, that you're redeemed by God. In singleness, as, as widows, as those who have lost, lost, lost loved ones, as those suffering with loneliness at the moment in these lockdown times, remember that we have here a God who draws near to us, a God who wouldn't allow us to stay far off from him, a God who chose us for himself, a God who came himself in Christ to draw near to us, a God who has sent his spirit to be in us, with us, to seal us, to guarantee our inheritance with him in heaven. You know, this passage talks about God before the foundation of the world and God before he created the world as well as now. He needed nothing. He was still the all-powerful, infinite God that he is now. He had everything that he could need in himself. He had infinite power and with infinite power comes infinite possibilities. Yet what does he do? He chose you, if you're a Christian, while you were still a sinner, before even you could be a sinner, knowing that he would create you and you would reject him. He determined to come himself in Christ, to find you, to go after that lost sheep that you were, to bring you his peace by his grace. That's what he chose for you. That's what he has chosen for you if your faith is in Christ. At the moment, we're just surrounded by suffering, aren't we, in our in our loved ones, in, in members of our church, in society more broadly. We're surrounded by suffering and we're, we're surrounded by death. But this passage shows us that we are eternally secure. This passage starts before time, before the creation of the world. And this passage goes to the fullness of time. Did you notice that? Um, in verse... Uh, 13 and 14 and in verse 10 it says to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment so what we see here is from eternity past all the way to eternity future 
we are secure because we have been chosen by Christ. Death can't stop that if our faith is in Christ. Death couldn't hold Christ and so it won't hold us as Christians if we're trusting in him. We've been chosen, redeemed, adopted, sealed. The Spirit has come as a guarantee of our inheritance. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. For sinners, sufferers, strugglers and stragglers, this passage promises good news. It promises that further good news that we see in verse 10, that cosmic renewal is coming in Christ. Did you see that promise there? In, in the midst of this world of suffering and sin and death, Christ promises that when the fullness of time comes, all things will be united in him to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The world is going to be brought under Christ's rule and reign once and for all. Sin and death are going to be done away with and we'll be able to live out the fullness of our inheritance, of which the Spirit is a deposit with him. You see, this passage shows us that Eden was never the goal, but the new creation in Christ was the goal. This is what we have to look forward to. This is what was chosen for us in him before the foundation of the world. What comfort that can be to us this evening. And more than comfort, this can bring us confidence. It can bring us confidence, not just comfort, because it pleased God to do this for us. It pleased him and it brings him glory, that we will be holy and blameless before him, that we will be adopted by him. It pleased him to do this. We see this, don't we? Uh, there are a couple of times through this passage where Paul says, according to his good pleasure, it pleased God to do this. It seemed good to him. So this is what he did. What confidence we can take from this. That we will be the adopted sons of God. And the term that Paul uses in this passage in verse 5, talking about adoption to sonship, you might have a footnote in your Bible that says, the Greek word for adoption to sonship is a legal term referring to the full legal standing of an adopted male heir in Roman culture. That's why Paul says um, for adoption as sonship instead of sons and daughters. It's not because he's being backwards, but he's actually being very countercultural because he says this legal term that you have for adoption of male heirs to sonship that applies to male and female, slave and free in Christ. Male and female, slave and free, you are going to become full sons of God in Christ. How countercultural is that? How comforting that is? How confident that can make us before God? We will become the full heirs of God, full heirs to the inheritance which will be ruling with Christ in the new creation. And how do we know that this is going to happen? Well, Paul says we're going to be sealed with the Spirit. He says, verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. 
we know that this will be brought to completion because God himself in the Holy Spirit has come to us to seal us. And this seal here isn't a sealing up, but the Holy Spirit is actually the seal itself. The Holy Spirit, by its presence within us, in our spirit, seals us, guaranteeing authenticity. That's what a seal does. It guarantees authenticity. You might um, have um, brought bought something, uh, a ring or something like that. When I bought the engagement ring for Lydia, it came with a certificate, a seal of authenticity. And often rings and items of jewellery and other things have got stamps on them which guarantee their authenticity. That's what the Spirit does by coming and dwelling within us, working within us. We have a seal of authenticity, a guarantee, confidence that this will happen for us. And that deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, that phrase that Paul uses is one which was used in the culture at the time to talk about an engagement pledge, a legal guarantee that a marriage was going to take place. This is binding and because it's God who binds us, we know that we can have confidence. And so in our struggles with sin, when we're convicted by sin, we can know that um, that's God working within us. That's a guarantee of our um, adoption as sonship. We can know by the hatred that we have for our sin that we are adopted children of God. And in the face of sin and struggles, we know from this passage that it is all of grace which has been lavished upon us. And it's according to God's wisdom and understanding that he did all of this for us. It's not by our own performance. It's by what God has done, what God has lavished upon us in all wisdom and understanding. Now, if you were the ruler of the whole universe, would this be your idea of wisdom and understanding to rescue ruined sinners? It really is a mystery that God would do this. But it, this mystery is revealed to us here in the scriptures, revealed to us by God himself. We, so we can know that it's true, although we can't understand it. And what else does this passage say? What else does Paul say? Well, he says um, in verse four that we've been chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight to be holy and blameless. So when you feel separated from God by your sin, know that it's not your performance that draws him near. Well, actually, that's not quite right. It is your performance that draws him near. It's our inability to do anything that could cause God to draw near that causes him to draw near. It's the complete hopelessness of our situation that causes God to condescend to us in Christ to save us and to bring us back to himself. And even now, um, as Christians, we need to understand that Christ's heart is never so tender towards us as when we're afflicted by sin and suffering. Although sin can affect our communion with God, that's really not for the reasons that we might think. It's because our sin is us rejecting God. It doesn't cause him to reject us. Think about it this way. A mother is never going to be so concerned for her kid as when they're, they've fallen in the dirt and they've hurt themselves. 
When the kid's over by itself playing happy and independently, the mother is happy to let the kid carry on. But when they get themselves in a pickle, that's when the mother's heart goes out most to Christ, to the kid. And it's the same with Christ for us. When we're struggling with sin and with suffering, that's when we need to remember that he is the friend of sinners and sufferers. That we can have confidence because he drew near to us by coming to earth and living and dying and rising again. And he will draw near to us as our great high priest. And so we can come before him confidently. That's great news, isn't it? And again, we can remember that he takes pleasure in us. We feel like frauds, don't we? When we think about this, we feel like in Christianity, we found a legal loophole. We found like we've snuck in the back door and we're going to get found out at any minute. But that's not how it is. God set his love upon us. He made the first move. He came to save us. Paul says repeatedly that this was according to the purpose of his will, according to his good pleasure. It pleased him to do this. It pleased him to make known this mystery of his will, which is everything that we see in this passage. It pleased him to do all of this. Maybe some of you at the moment are feeling torn in 25 directions. You've got work, children, so many other responsibilities that are draining you and so many restricted freedoms that make everything 10 times harder. This evening, we have an invitation to rest in Christ and his work for us, what he has done for us and what he does in us, to rest in the fact that the Father chose us before eternity, that the Spirit has come to seal us for future eternity. Take comfort and confidence in that this evening. On the other hand, maybe some of you are feeling like a spare part at the moment. You're unable to care for family, to go and visit them. You're unable to do your church ministry that you've done for so many years. You're unable to do much at all that you enjoy or have loved. Well, know likewise this evening that you are chosen and loved by the Father. Rest in the fact that the Father chose you. Christ came to save you and every spiritual blessing is yours in him. And the Spirit has sealed you up for eternity with him. It's the down payment, the pledge that we will live with him for all eternity. We've, um, in this passage, we see that we are tied to eternity past and eternity future by the Father, by Christ and by the Spirit. But maybe this evening you're hearing this and you're not trusting in Christ. You know that you are not a Christian. And if that's you, then I don't want you to take comfort or confidence from what I'm saying this evening, because this is for those who are in Christ. That's why Paul says that so many times, in him, in Christ. But maybe you're thinking, well, I obviously haven't been chosen before the time, <laughs> before the world began. But that's not true. There's an invitation here. You've heard this message this evening. And Paul says in verse 13, when you believe, all you have to do is trust that Christ Jesus came to earth to live and to die and to rise again so that we who had rejected God could come back to him, could find friendship, redemption, forgiveness from everything that we've done wrong. The price was paid by Christ on the cross. 
and that can provide us with true comfort and confidence. And all of this leads us to the final thing, which is to praise. Paul starts this passage in verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he finishes it with to the praise of his glory. Paul wrote this as a word of praise, inviting the recipients to join him in that praise. To the praise of his glory, to the praise of his grace, to the praise of God for what he has done in us and for us, for his great love for us. Today is Valentine's Day, isn't it? And I don't know whether you think that's corporate nonsense or whether you do celebrate it. Well, in this passage, we have a love that is truly worth celebrating, don't we? But at the same time, we've thought a lot this evening, haven't we, about suffering and struggles. As we look at our church family even, we see so many people suffering and struggling. As we look at our own families, we see that, don't we? As we look at society, we see that. And so how can we sing songs of praise in the midst of that? What I want to say this evening is that this praise isn't just um, a mindless, happy, bubbly rejoicing in that sense, but this praise is a posture of the heart. It's a posture of the heart. It's an orientation of the heart because of what God has done for us and what God does in us. So we can praise him this evening because of what he has done for us. We can praise him because he has chosen us in Christ and sealed us for eternity. We can bring praise to God in the midst of our suffering and struggling by remembering what he has done for us, by taking comfort and confidence from us. So as we finish, however you would summarise your life in those six words, if you're a Christian, remember that you can say, peace, yours by grace in Christ. Amen.